Welcome to Clef Talk, bringing you discussions on the topics that adults affected by cleft lip and or cleft palate have told us matter to them. Brought to you by the Cleft Lip and Palate Association as part of Clapper's Adult Services Programme. Cleft Talk is presented by Kate Flanagan and Nikki Davis and produced by Kenny Ardwin and proudly funded by the VTCT Foundation. Hello and welcome. My name is Nikki Davis and I'm the Adult Services Officer at Clapper. Together with my colleague, Kenny Ardwin, we are excited to bring you another episode of Clef Talk brought to you by Clapper's Adult Services Project, proudly supported by the VTCT Foundation. Clef Talk is your opportunity to learn more about the topics that adults born with a cleft across the UK told us are important to them through the Adult Survey and Roadshow. We hope that you find this podcast both entertaining and informative. Remember that you can keep up to date with the Adult Services Project online, including listen to this and other panel discussions again at www.clapper.com forward slash Adult Services Project. You can also join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Clapper Adults. Today on the programme, we'll be talking about success in the workplace and providing you with some useful tips on how to write CVs and cover letters, as well as how to perform well at that dreaded interview. Additionally, you'll be able to gather knowledge on how best to feel supported in your workplace if you're struggling with stressful situations, what coping strategies there are that we can recommend to you and where to go for extra support. It's our pleasure to welcome our panel guests, Marie, Iona and Catherine to the podcast. Do you mind telling us everyone about what you do and your background? And we'll start with Marie, please. Hi Nikki, yes, I'm a speech and language therapist um, and I specialize in working with um, children and young people and adults with um, history of cleft palate and cleft lip. Um, and I'm a trustee of Clapper, so I'm delighted to be joining you today. Oh, thank you. Welcome. And we'll go to Iona. Hi, um, so as Nikki said, I'm Iona. I'm an adult and born with a condition called Vanderbilt, um, which um, basically means that I was born with a cleft palate as well as lip picks. Um, and both of these are looked after by my cleft team. Um, I'm a nurse and I work in London, which, um, and I actually specialise in plastic surgery. And um, through my time um, working as a nurse, I've had to have time off and things for operations. So I'm hoping that um, I can share some of my experience and little tips um, that I've had along the way to someone that's listening. Oh, definitely. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. And we have our third guest, which is Catherine. Hi there, I'm Catherine Shipley. I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm currently working in the South Thames Cleft Service. So very happy to be here today. Thank you. Welcome to you all. Excellent. It's a real pleasure to have you all with us. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time out. Um, I just want to start um, coming to you, Catherine, for this first question. Um, mm -hmm. because I'm sure this is something you, you see a lot with adults kind of returning to the, the service and having surgery. Um, and so if I need to take time out of work for surgery, how could that affect my success and promotion 
or career opportunities within the workplace. So I, I imagine there's never a great time to have to take off work. Yeah, never a great time. Um, I guess so, some uh, some occasions are better than others. Um, I'd say, first of all, um, it's important to know your employer's absence policy um, because this will differ across organisations. Um, so some policies, some employers may have a different understanding of what counts as a medical need. So, for example, if the surgery is elective. Um, so it's good to have a clear understanding of what is expected of you and for your employer to understand the support that you will need. Um, and I think, I think most managers would appreciate a transparent and open approach. Um, so I'd recommend being honest with your manager. So thinking about um, you know, how much time you'll need to take off to recover, um, being open about how it could impact on your work. Um, so although it, it might kind of feel hard to talk about something so personal, I think it is also an opportunity to demonstrate kind of value, valuable skills as well. Um, so thinking about time management or you know, showing that you can prioritize and delegate tasks when you need to, um, and kind of how you manage personal challenges. So it's tricky, um, but I think we should also remember kind of that we're all human and each of us face challenges in our life when we, we have to prioritize um, kind of outside of our work time and need to take time off. So hopefully, you, you know, your, your employer and your manager will understand to support this. Sure, um, I, I'm imagining as well, for a lot of people, this comes up quite early in their working career because, um, you know, things like, like jaw surgery tend to, to happen fairly young. Um, as for some of the other surgeries. Um, so people may well know before taking on that first job that actually this is on the horizon for them. Mm -hmm. at, at what point would you kind of recommend to people they start having this conversation with their employer? Would, would you do it, at, you know, kind of in the hiring process or would you do it later on out of fear that you might be prejudiced against for, for bringing this up? Uh, I, yeah, that's a really important question. I would say kind of bringing it up as, as early as possible, really, um, kind of being open and transparent and kind of planning with, with your employer kind of how you would, how you would manage it and kind of work around it. Um, you know, and I think it would be very important for your employer to, to support you with that. Um, and I think, um, you know, if there is a plan in place, um, surgery shouldn't have a long-term negative impact on your success and, and career opportunities. Um, so I, I do really think that it's important to be open and honest um, so that you can plan it together. Definitely. And from what we have seen from people who have completed the survey um, and, you know, who we've spoken to over the, the years is that most employers are, as you say, really supportive of this. I think mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. Just having that dialogue with with your employer, with your manager, early on is really beneficial. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, now, one of the other things, kind of the, the less um, pleasing things, I guess, that came up on the survey was that a lot of people reported having experienced workplace bullying. And we know it's fairly common, you know, generally within the workplace, um, regardless of whether you've, you've got a cleft or not. But um, I don't think that makes it any um, less unpleasant when you do experience so, um, Catherine and, and Marie as well, what, what are some of the more subtle signs 
to look out for that could suggest that someone is getting bullied in the workplace? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think um, another really interesting questions, uh, question, particularly the focus on the subtle signs of, of bullying. Um, and I, I think sometimes it really is difficult to put your finger on it. Um, so I, I kind of looked online and, and there are quite a few kind of really useful resources. Um, so the National Bullying Helpline is, is, has a website um, and kind of highlights um, a few examples. So for example, um, if you're not offered the same opportunities as your colleagues, um, despite having the relevant skills and experience or someone kind of intentionally bro- blocks promotion or training opportunities, um, and I think, you know, even more subtle might be uh, a kind of constant kind of criticism or if um, team members kind of move the goalposts without discussing it with you first and kind of you feel like you're setting, you're, you're being set up to fail. Um, so there are quite a lot of ways uh, that you could experience kind of subtle bullying. And I think the difficult part is, um, is kind of recognising it as bullying and discrimination. Um, So it can be hard to define and and perhaps it's important to reflect on, um, you know, whether it's something that's happening quite frequently or or if it's a one-off. So it might help to kind of keep a log um, or, you know, talk to someone about it, a manager, kind of a colleague, um, you know, is there someone who's experiencing a similar thing and can can you support each other? Definitely, because I, I think, that is one of the things, isn't it? It can feel very isolating for people when they're they're going through this and not really knowing where to turn within the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think a lot of people end up um, kind of leaving their job or or resigning um, when actually it's so important that that they speak up. And um, you know, you our employers have a responsibility to tackle kind of bullying in the workplace. You know, there should be an anti-bullying policy um, and processes um, so that you can speak up anonymously. Um, and I mentioned the National Bullying Helpline. That, that is a helpline that you can, you can call and, and speak to someone and, you know, get advice. Um, but there are also other avenues. So, you know, speaking to your trade union. Um, I just think it's really important that people know that they can, they can speak up and, and that they should always tell someone. And, and I guess it's, it's better to challenge sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Marie, as well, obviously, you've worked with a, a number of adults over the years. Is, is this something that you see people returning to the service mentioning? They do, and, and it is very subtle to, to evidence. It's, um, so it, if you feel that this is something that you're experiencing, and it obviously has value to you, then you, as, um, as we've discussed, it's important to, to write it down to get the evidence um, because that will help you take the emotion out of it and enable you to objectively see what is actually, you know, what's being, what's being happening around me, what opportunities am I not being given access to. And it's always good to sense check that with somebody who you trust within your organisation. So ideally it's your line manager or you might have a peer who's in your department or who you work alongside who you can just sense check and just say, is this, is this something that you're witnessing? 
Um, I just want to get um, just to talk this through in a safe and um, uh, confidential um, setting. And then as um, we've discussed, the anti-bullying website is excellent and gives some really good resources. And the subtlety of it is, is difficult to actually identify. Um, it can be about the language that's used around us. It can be about um, opportunities that are open for others, but not for all. And your line manager or the head of service or department lead, whatever, has a responsibility, particularly with all the with the new focus on diversity and inclusion and, and acknowledging difference, has to um, a responsibility to ensure that all opportunities are open to everybody. So if you think that this is something that you're experiencing, write make notes of it, not in a, in, a, in a sort of dictatorial way, but just so you can get a sense of what actually is it that is that is happening. And then take that to a safe partner or a peer um, and to your line manager. And that then opens up the dialogue and the discussion. Um, and that enables the support mechanism that should be in place to come in and, and guide you in as to those next steps. The unions also offer great advice as well, um, and I would really signpost people to them as well. Well, thank you both for your valuable insights there. I think, you know, you're absolutely right about not sitting on this. You know, if, if you are concerned or believe you may be getting bullied, then definitely do try and reach out and talk to somebody about it. Um, you know, there are multiple avenues, as you've, you've both discussed there, um, rather than kind of um, suffering in isolation. Um, yeah, and, and, and as a, a manager, it would be really sad if an individual who, you know, you have invested in, who the organisation has, you know, really valued and um, uh, seen the, the benefit and the contribution they make, then leaves an organisation because this hasn't been tackled. Mm. Uh, because if it's, if it's happening to you, it may well then happen to somebody else. So that sort of behavior has to be managed within the organization. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um, I want to come to Iona for this next question on a slightly different track and thinking about, um, you know, starting a, a new role. Um, I think obviously, you know, when we all have our first days in a new a new workplace that can feel quite quite daunting it's a new bunch of people it's a new set of responsibilities um on top of that I suppose for for some people um cleft presents additional challenges there in terms of um perhaps lack of confidence or um increased anxiety those sorts of things if I'm extremely nervous about my first day at work what tips could you suggest to make me feel a bit more settled into my role yeah, you're right, Kenny. Like first days for everybody are really, really nerve-wracking. Um, I usually have a quarterly crisis on first days of new jobs, and I'm often thinking, "What have I done?" <laughs> um, but that's normally quite short-lived. And um, so I think first of all, it's just about managing expectations. That you know what, your first, your first day, your first week. It's going to be really different. You're not going to know people. You're out of your routine. And that's okay to feel, you know, to feel a bit apprehensive, to feel a bit nervous. Um, it's, yeah, it's just all part and parcel. So allow yourself to kind of um, to, to say that's okay. 
um and you know a new will settle in um it's it just the first week is can 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 be particularly nerve-wracking um I this sounds really I, this does sound quite a silly one but it works for me so I always plan what I'm gonna wear in advance because if you wear something that you're not comfortable in, you end up just walking around trying to pull pull your dress down, and you just don't you you just feel awkward and you come across a bit awkward. So wear something that you feel really good in and makes you feel confident, and then you don't you'll just come across um you'll feel more confident, and then you'll just come across that way. Um, so although it's pretty, it's a very small thing. Um, it kind of it does play a part in how you. Like how you come across to your new colleagues. Um, my speech um particularly has um gotten into some uh, sticky situations, particularly on first days, where people just have no idea what I'm saying, and um you get a lot of um you get a lot of smiling nods, and they're just like you have no idea what I'm saying. Right, <laughs> um, right. And then I always just end up getting really panicked and like really flustered, and end up either just saying nothing or stuttering. Um, so for and, you know, it's not even first days. That still sometimes happens when I meet new people in the workplace. Uh-huh. If I have to, so um, something that works for me is taking like a couple of seconds it might feel to you like such a long pause but really it's nothing just take like a really big deep breath in and kind of on your deep breath out just say what you're going to say and otherwise for me I just end up stuttering and it's oh it's tragic um the for example I can't say s's and s very well so when people ask me what I do and I say I'm a nurse Nobody ever gets that. And then I have right. to play this like charade game of like trying to act out what a nurse is and oh no. Um so I still haven't worked that one out yet on how else can I how else can I say what my job is? Um but yeah, so it's kind of just little things like that that kind of I can I say have worked for me. So, you know, if um if somebody else is in a similar situation. Um but yeah, I do you know, I totally agree first days are really hard. Um, but yeah, just um, try and be mindful of maybe those few things, or if anyone's got any other tips. Um, yeah, but that's my uh, that would be some of my advice. Yeah, and I think you know what you're saying there about um, you know picking out your clothes and things, and it, it feels quite obvious, but but just being organised for that that first day, um, yeah. like allowing enough time to get to work early and, and things like that so you're not rushing around really stressed on the morning of so that you're able yeah, to kind yeah. of walk in with a, a bit of a sense of of calm yeah it's just like, I suppose it's kind of trying to take control of what well, kind of yeah taking control of what parts of that kind of stressful first day that you can take control of um so you know you can kind of minimize the stress by planning your route by having even just simple things like having your bag packed um that kind of reduces all those little extra stresses um so that if you are a little bit nervous about your first day if it's if it's about your feet or if it's about the way you look then you're not having these other stresses on top of that which then just can be a bit overwhelming mm-hmm, definitely um, and I think mm-hmm. just recognizing as well that actually most people remember their first day and, and when you do walk into a new workplace um 
people will be quite supportive of you generally um, because they want to make you feel welcome. Um, and, you know, people, you can, a lot of people listening to this will be able to think of that for themselves where someone new has since come into their workplace and kind of, you, you do your best to make them, them feel welcome. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm also kind of um, mindful to say that kind of on your first day or even your first week, you know, you're not expected to know it all or, or even kind of know much at all. You know, you're kind of you're new to the place. Um, you're just trying to kind of take it all in. And um, and I think seeing that kind of first day or that first week as kind of a, a learning process, um, it can be helpful you know you, you're not expected to know all the answers and that can take the pressure off yeah definitely I think you know a lot of us particularly when we start roles you, you get that sense of imposter syndrome that you know mm -hmm. that you don't deserve to be here or whatever when you know backing yourself that actually I have been hired for this position I do mm -hmm. have the skills required and, and yeah taking that pressure off yourself to to perform in that that first period of time while you're adjusting and learning the role Mm -hmm. I, I can definitely I, relate oh sorry sorry Marie go for it <laughs> no carry on Nikki oh so I was just gonna say I can definitely re relate to um, Iona about the and to everyone about the dress and the outfit but I probably plan it a week <laughs> in advance <laughs> and then get my get my lunch all set out and then yeah get all prepared and get my like to out my train times and yeah everything so I don't feel stressed in the morning so yeah I can definitely relate as well <laughs> Yeah, I, I absolutely relate to that. Iona and Nikki is about sharpening the pencils, putting them in the right <laughs> pencil case, having a new book, um, all of those things. But I would also like to add that when a, when a person is um, appointed to a role or, you know, um, you're successful at the interview, that interview process is a two way thing. So two people, you have obviously met all the criteria that need that's needed for that job. You've got all the points that makes you the right and the successful candidate but also it is the person who is interviewing is making that decision with you yes imposter syndrome happens probably in all the organizations um, with a number of people I've worked with in the, over the years but it, but hold tight to the fact that two that the whole panel who interviewed you and you yourself have got you to where you are today on that first day so hold on to that to know that this is actually something that was a team decision and that everybody who interviewed you wants you to succeed and that is a really important point to hold in your head nobody goes in wanting a new person to fail or any colleague to fail for that matter so find a peer that you really like and that you and you'll get that will come in natural conversations as you as you sort your, your day out and you'll be introduced to the people who you'll be working with. But hold, hold firm that this was, this was a joint decision and people will want you to succeed. Definitely, and I guess as well, trying not to angst too much about the fact that you might be nervous. I think people are expecting that. You know, we all deal with um, things a bit differently. There's different levels of introversion and extroversion. And so a lot of people actually, when they start their first day, will be quite nervous and, and people expect that and will, will be pretty um, supportive of, of that. So don't feel as well as something you particularly have to, have to hide. You will feel more confident in a workplace over time. 
So this next question is um, for you, Maria. So, oh, sorry, Marie. Um, so what laws and policies are there to protect me against discrimination at work? Well, there, Nikki, it's a, a very important question. And there's, yeah. you know, the, the, the working landscape changes around us, um, quite, you know, regularly. And there are formal um, legislation that will protect you. So there's equal opportunities, there's um, working directives, which will all be sitting within your organisation, whether it's a big organisation or if it's, you know, two people, um, and it's uh, a small business, there are all these um, policies that will that really lead into making sure that employment governance is in place. The unions also offer um, a great um, website. They've got a lot of details that are sort of freely accessible. If you go on to Unison, for example, um, and also at a local level, your department or, or the people that you're working for will also have some um, a local policy as well, which would be guiding you to where um, the next step should be if you feel that there is uh, discrimination that's occurring, if you feel that you want some advice about an opportunity that you feel you've not been given access to, there will be really clear processes and procedures that everybody will have access to within the organization. And I, I would probably say, probably not on your first day, but certainly over the course of your first sort of six months or so, just get used to them, have a look at them. They'll be on, on the shared drives or whatever, you, whatever form of communication you have within the organization. But know that there is a, um, links also to HR who will be able to help you. Um, and they sit very clearly on the legal framework for for staff relations and governance. So equal opportunities, yes, um, lots of new diversity policies coming out um, and get to know them within your organization because they will give you the names and the linkage that you will need if you have any concerns that you want to take forward. Mm. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I think that's definitely something very, very important and hopefully um, something that people can um, take forward as well in their organisation. So this um, this next one is for you, Catherine. So if I'm having a bad day, which we all, we all do from time to time, where I may be feeling a bit down, tired or bored of my normal routine, how do I not let this reflect on my work? Yeah, you're absolutely right. We all have bad days or, you know, <laughs> days where we're unmotivated and unproductive. Um, and I think it's it's even harder during this pandemic. Um, and, you know, we're all having to adjust in so many ways, you know, kind of working from home brings its own challenges. Um, I guess what I'd say is hopefully you don't feel like this every day. Um, so if you're continuing to work on your kind of longer term goals, the odd day shouldn't impact on your work too much. Um, when I have a bad day, uh, I find that structure really helps. Um, so I kind of prioritize lots of breaks <laughs> um, and kind of plan something to look forward to at the end of the day. Um, and it, depending on whether you're a morning person or not, um, sometimes I like to get the most difficult tasks out of the way first. Um, so I can kind of feel like I've been quite productive by 10 a.m. Um, and then focus on something else that I probably you know I'm naturally more interested in or kind of focus on some easy wins to kind of get get myself going um and actually one one little tip that um that helps me is kind of trying anything for kind of 10 minutes 
um, I just tell myself, you only have to do it for 10 minutes and then, you, you know, you can make a cup of tea or you can start something else. And I find that actually the, the hardest part is getting started. So, so that can help. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I think it's also really good to, to kind of uh, have a chat, have a chat with a colleague, you know, someone who's good company, um, who you can have a moan with or, or perhaps is kind of feeling more motivated or, or, you know, inspired that day. I think that can really help. Um, and, and I, you know, on, on tough days, uh, work can seem very overwhelming. So anything that you can do to kind of break it down into more kind of uh, bite-sized chunks can help. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's also really important to acknowledge that if you have more bad days than good days, um, it's worth kind of chatting to someone about it. Um, and finding out why you know so is it is it something that you want to talk about with your line manager um, or is it something that would be good to reflect on with a careers advisor um, and you know there's there is always someone that you can talk to for, for some extra support so whether that's kind of speaking to your GP or um, kind of getting some extra support through an employee assistance program at work um, yeah if, you, if you're having more bad days and good days always kind of yeah talk through that with someone and get the support that you need yeah and it's so true what you say it said as well like if you are having a bad day do talk to someone and like your colleagues and have it like just have a chat that's not about work so because I think we because this this now way of working is so easy just to work 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 and then kind of not you kind of forget that whole communication side and interaction with your colleagues that you normally would have have in the office as well I think that mm. is so important to have and just have a little bit of a joke around with people and yeah have like a cup of tea break or um you know breakfast clubs or something like that as well just to kind of take your mind off it because you can get so bogged down with with doing so much work and yeah so I think I completely agree with you on that as well and just um kind of brings up your mood a little bit as well and kind of prevents loneliness um, if you do live by yourself yeah absolutely yeah. you know I think um well working from home can be incredibly self-isolating and um mm. we're all kind of ma having to manage um so many kind of extra challenges at the moment and I think a lot of people worry about people being productive at home um but actually um I think a lot of the time we're kind of glued to our laptops or our phones um yeah. and, and I think for some people working from home gives an, an added sense of urgency that you, you know you have to be you know constantly available um or you kind of there isn't that the same uh you know the kind of break in your day when you're kind of get going home from work or um so yeah I think people I think people do are kind of working harder um and feeling uh, you know feeling less connected and I think that's so important mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm no, just to pick up on that, that point there that you raised, Catherine, because I think it is really interesting that people feel, because I, I certainly feel it more of a pressure, I think, when working from home to, you know, be really productive, because I suppose in the office, people can see you, you know, that you are working, that you are being productive. Mm -hmm. um, whereas mm -hmm. when working from home, I guess there feels this intrinsic pressure um, to be producing lots of stuff so that people can tell that you are definitely working in the time where you say that you're you're working and I think that comes very much from within rather than you know the workplace trying to pressure people into into feeling that but it's it's a very real thing I think 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, um, that's why I think it's so important to kind of schedule regular breaks. If you've been sitting down and working solidly for an hour, you know, get up, maybe get a change of scene maybe at lunchtime, you know, take, make sure that you take your lunch break and perhaps get some fresh air, go for a little walk. Um, you know, I think we should all think, think about the benefits and the flexibility that comes with, with working from home too. And, and, you know, it's, it's so important to schedule those chats with, colleagues or find other ways to connect and have some breathing space in your day otherwise it can quickly become overwhelming mm. absolutely yeah definitely so this next question is for you marie what are some relaxation strategies you can recommend to people when a stressful situation arises so if it's um if it's a stressful interaction if it's a stressful encounter with somebody we, we would really recommend trying to um, take time away step away from that that encounter and just to take some some time out to step away probably outside or away from the organization just to to get um, a breath of fresh air and, and a change of scenery um, and really it's about um, finding and some to talk it through and to find a, a colleague or a peer. And that is more difficult now that we're all working remotely because of course, everybody's got, we don't all know what our, our colleagues are doing whilst we're doing what we're doing, but it's mm -hmm. important to talk and share these things because um, it's often, it's an easier way of finding a solution and it's better to, to deal with these things in the moment as best we can. But we would say if, if we see a situation is to step back, reflect, walk away from it for a while and then go back with a clear and a calmer approach just to ask for clarity or to say without emotion in your language, but this your behavior made me feel X, Y and Z is probably something that we would we would recommend and that we do see, particularly if we're in in the health in environment um, that, that I work in. Um, I mean, that's, that's what we would advise, um, mm -hmm. uh, particularly for families um, and for colleagues around us is just to, to take time out um, and to reflect and then to come in again, really to, to talk that through in a, in a much calmer way um, without emotion in the language and just to really address what it is that's causing the, the difficulty and what, is it a behavior? Is it something else that's happening around us that we might be able to find a solution for? Yeah, no, thank you for that. I think that is really, really good advice as well because um, we do tend to still be in the moment and just kind of say things that we sometimes regret if we're so worked up so I think definitely take a step back breathe and reflect on the situation and then coming back and talking it through in a, in a calm situation is definitely a lot more a lot more better um so thank you for that so this this um question is for Iona this next one so if I don't feel comfortable discussing my needs with my manager who else would you suggest I talk to uh, sometimes talking to your manager can be hard, especially if they're like you know your your immediate line manager is someone who's um who's quite senior and they might not have that much of a presence if they're you know always at meetings or 
um, things like that. And quite personally, I um, I didn't used to really like having to tell my manager um, because they were quite frankly just really intimidating. <laughs> um, and I used to feel guilty about asking for time off and things like that. Um, but in the past, what I've found that's um, helped is sometimes someone who's not your manager, but maybe is more senior or is much more experienced and has been there for a lot longer. Um, someone that you kind of feel um, safe to talk to, um, I would recommend that you go and speak to them. Sometimes actually just discussing it with somebody else, letting them know that this is, this is what's going on and you're going to have to ask for time off. And, you know, just be open and say, I'm a little bit nervous about having to go to the manager and, you know, discuss this with them. Actually just having that discussion and that conversation with them sometimes just kind of helps to kind of relieve those nerves and that anxiety so actually you do feel as if like you're happy to then go and talk to your manager um or sometimes they might have some advice they might have some wise wise words of wisdom um for you um yeah so that would be my tip for that um sometimes um in different organizations you could potentially um speak to somebody in your HR department um, or uh, if you have an occupational health team as well um, always utilize them they're always really helpful um, and can help advocate for you. Oh brilliant yeah thank you so much and it's definitely important to talk out um, and discuss your needs as well rather than go home and kind of sit in silence is, is definitely um, like the exactly other people that you mentioned like HR is so important just to talk it out so you can kind of get it sorted and then get your needs um, met as well in the workplace. Now we've spoken a lot about kind of um, things where you know support mechanisms and, and thought processes once you're kind of in work and, and in the workplace and um, but obviously you know the step that has to happen before that is the looking for work and obviously um, with kind of the, the pandemic situation, there will, there will be a lot of people um, who unfortunately their, their job situation has changed and will be looking for work. Um, Iona, what would you say are some tips for putting together a cover letter and a CV? So I would always say just take, you know, take the time to kind of put, put a lot of effort into your um, your application, your cover letter, CV, whatever it is that you're using to apply for a job, because at the end of the day, that's, that is somebody's first impression. Um, and just taking that time to kind of, um, to, to do it really well, I think it's, um, to, you know, block out an hour of your day, just give your time, give yourself time to, to do it. Um, and obviously, be mindful of the closing date because um, you don't want to have to do it last minute. Um, but when it comes kind of to the tips for putting it together, you know, if you can, so there'll always um, there'll always kind of be lots of there'll be lots and lots of words in the job advert. There always is. Take a highlighter, or you know, if you've got um, and or just be able to make a list and actually like write down what are they asking for. What is it they want from you? So they'll say, you know, they'll say things like they want someone who's hardworking, who is enthusiastic. They'll just reel off all these words, um, and it can be quite hard to kind of how 
how do you show that in an application? So kind of what I find is helpful is just writing down every single thing from the application, from the job specification, anything that you can get your hands on that's um, the paperwork for that job advert um, and just make a list. And then once you've kind of gone through all the paperwork, have a look at that list and next to every single one thing that they want, write an example or um, of a time that you've, you know, that you've done that. Um, so I can only speak from experience of working in the health service, but um, quite often the job applications are, can be quite lengthy. So it, you, you do feel as if you're having, you're writing the same thing over and over again, but it's just a really good way to, um, for you to be able to see, actually, I can do that, I can do that. Because quite often, lots of us look at a job application and we think, oh no, like I, I probably can only do about five of those things. But actually, when you start writing it out and you can actually see, you can actually see for yourself that and it gives you a bit of a confidence boost that you actually can do it. Um, so once you've done that, just use, you know, when you're writing out your statement, use those examples, show that you can do the job. Um, and it might be that you can incorporate a couple of those different things into one example. Um, and I think that's really important. Just because everyone can, everyone can rewrite the buzzwords. Um, but actually, if you can give examples um, and kind of show your passion for why you want the job, um, then I think that really stands out um, and kind of means a good impression. I mean, kind of just going on from that point of kind of getting your kind of passion across in a, an advert, just tell, in your application, tell them why you want the job. Um, yeah, I think because, again, that gets kind of across, um, yeah, I think it just gets across a bit more kind of personality and kind of almost starts for them to kind of engage with you, even though that they have no idea who you are and it's just a bit of paper. Um, it makes your application stand out. So that would be some of my tips. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think the point you make, especially about making sure that you you take the time to do that cover letter really well, is really important. Like I, I've been on a few recruitment panels and, and different roles over the years. And um, if you don't take the time to do that, it, it unfortunately, it really shows. Um, yeah. And so, all the advice you've given about, you know, look for what they are asking for and feed that back to them in your your cover letter. And what I would say, because I think when people are looking for work, there's often a, a temptation to just apply to as many jobs as you can see, whether or not they're actually that great a fit for you. Um, whereas I would probably, my advice would be to kind of hone that in a bit more, look at the roles that actually really interest you, that you could actually see yourself working in um and then take that time that you would have sent you know spent sending out i don't know 20 applications um that were kind of quite average and maybe hone that in on doing five really good ones um where you're you're more likely to to have your cover letter be your your ticket to an to an interview um the next question is for for catherine but everyone feel Feel free to clip in in here because obviously everyone's been been through this. Um, but let's say that you've managed to get an interview, which is is a great thing in itself. That's that's pretty hard to do. Um, what advice would you then give for performing well in an interview? Yeah, so you've you've kind of got to the 
final hurdle yay um and, and it's kind of it's it's the time to shine um and i agree with with everything that you've said about um you, you know thinking of some really clear examples um that match the the job description and the person spec um to, to really highlight kind of how how you meet the criteria um Another kind of tip would be to kind of get in touch with um, with the organisation prior to the interview. Um, so if you kind of ask if you can uh, speak to someone to have an informal chat about the role, um, that kind of gets you on their radar. So that might be something that the other candidates don't do. Um, I, I think uh, it's really important to um, kind of practice potential interview questions so whether that's with a friend or, or with a family um, family member uh, and, and I guess a kind of an easy win is is um, is thinking about the first interview question so quite often uh, the the question asks about how your your previous experience um, kind of gives you the skills for this role um, so if you kind of have a you know, if you've practiced a response to that, it can kind of really help with those initial nerves and kind of get you into the swing of things. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, I, I'm kind of reminded of what Iona said before about um, picking your outfit and, and wearing something that's smart but comfortable. Um, and just thinking about ways of, of kind of feeling relaxed in the moment. I think we've, we've kind of talked on the, about this quite a bit. Um, but there's no harm in slowing things down. You know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, um, you know, take those few, those kind of slow, deep breaths, take a sip of water. Um, I think interview, interviewers are, are actually quite impressed if you take some time before answering a question, you know, to gather your thoughts, thinking about kind of, you know, how you want to come across, what you want to say. And, and, and you don't have to worry about asking them to repeat the question either. You know, that's, that's something that, that interviewers are happy to do. And it just gives you a bit of extra time. Um, I suppose another tip is to, is to think about questions at the end, end of the interview. So quite often you'll have an opportunity to ask the interviewers um, some questions. So it's good to have, um, to think about those beforehand because yeah, it, it kind of, um, if you show interest in the role um, and you know, you're already thinking about, you know, what it would look like on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, you're just a few steps ahead. Um, and yeah, and ultimately, I think, you know, it's so important to smile, um, you know, smile. Um, if you come across as a kind of a, a warm uh, and kind of likable person with, with um, you know, good eye contact and, and good communication skills, then I think that, you know, that's a huge part of it. So kind of smiling and looking approachable and taking your time and, and focusing on what, you, what you, you want to say, I think is, yeah. Will, uh, will be really beneficial. <laughs> Definitely, I think that's, that's really good advice and just kind of going in, in well prepared, like you say, you know, having a chat with somebody beforehand, you know, arranging that phone call or, you know, at the very least, you know, having a read through the employer's website, understanding mm -hmm. what they're all about and that sort of thing. Um, because I think if you can bring that sort of thing up in, in an interview, it shows that you're interested enough that you've gone out of your way to actually look into a bit more what it is that the employer does. I, I agree, I echo Catherine's thoughts really, and, you know, be yourself. It's, they'll see the, the integrity that you're bringing to the, to the interview. I think take a notebook in and a pen. So write the questions down as they, 
are being asked that you know that shows that you're taking this seriously and gives you a little bit of breathing space too and probably two questions to, that you might get asked in an indirect way or directly would be share with us your strengths and weaknesses and that's quite a good question quite a good question to show your the insight into your own awareness and what do you think your skills are and think about how those need to be answered in relation to the job description and the post you're you're going for and also another one is how would your how would your colleagues or how would those you've worked with or been in a project before how would they describe you and that's about showing that you're aware of how your behavior impacts on others whether you're a team player whether you like to work in isolation and bring projects you know um, to a close on your own timeline or whether you like to work alongside other people in a big group um, it just enables people to get a, an insight into how you are but also that having those sorts of answers in your head just prepares you for those types of discussions and questions. And wear your favorite outfit because you'll be very comfortable in it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. One thing that I, one thing I've to all of that, and I agree with everything that both um, Catherine and Marie have said, but I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but there's this, um, if you look on YouTube, there's a TED talk, and um, if you just type in Power Poses TED Talk, somebody recommended this to me before an interview that I went for um, last year, and it's about, basically, it's about, I think it's about 20 minutes long, um, and I really, really recommend it. So basically, it's about, um, the kind of alpha male and how th their body language comes across much more um, positive and confident than um, than uh, than others. Um, and it's about doing um, standing in front of a mirror. Basically, it sounds ridiculous, but honestly, it 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 was great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you basically just do two. I think you do. I can't remember. I think it's like you did two different power poses, each for like thirty seconds each. Um, and it's to do with like eliciting positive body language within yourself and how you come across and then you go into your interview and you feel much more open and um yeah much more confident and kind of kind of holding the room better and I did it before at my last interview and it felt ridiculous I was in a store cupboard doing it but <laughs> I really rate it and if <laughs> anyone's an interview coming up I would do uh, give that a little um, look up on YouTube. Good stuff. Um, and Diana, I'm going to come to you for this question, but again, I'd be really interested to get Catherine and Marie's thoughts as well. But should you tell your employer that you were born with a cleft? And, and if so, when would you tell them? Oh, that's, that, that, that's a hard question, and it's totally dependent on each individual. Um, personally, for me, I have... I've never really felt comfortable addressing it. Um, I've just that's just me personally. Um, but I've not, I've not I've only brought it up if I've had to, for example, if I've had to go to an appointment or if I've had to have time off for surgery. And I just feel the whole the whole conversation. I just get really awkward about it. Um, so it's, it's important to know that you should never you should ne never feel pressured into telling them, and you should only um, disclose what you feel comfortable with um, and what you choose to tell them. Um, some people 
do want to just address elephant in the room and you know to get it out of the way and and that's it because there's others like me who would rather not um if they can avoid it um so kind of when when should you when should she say again it's totally per like each individual will be different um although i kind of don't really have a direct answer for this um i would definitely just say um, keep the conversation informal um and you can just you know you can just keep it a small comment like you know when you're on a lunch break or you know if you're grabbing coffee like I, I, I don't know why I say grabbing coffee like that's you know something that people in the NHS do I would, I would love it to be really <laughs> of, you know, grabbing coffee no um but you know if something does kind of um you know if you can somehow bring in like I don't know a fact some, somebody makes a comment and you know you somehow think you could somehow like slip in like that you were born with a cleft. I don't know. Like, um, I uh, it's a hard one because how do you bring it up to people that you have like you don't you basically you don't know. Um, I think somebody for me once made a comment about um, I think they I think they made a comment about um off with somebody couldn't hear something. And I thought, oh yeah, like, I can totally relate. Like I'm like I'm like so deaf. Like I'm not really, but I am kind of a wee bit. And then that kind of kind of gave them like the kind of look at me. And I thought, oh yeah, like I was born with a cleft palate, so like it kind of affects my hearing. And that was it. So I just kind of kept it quite casual, um, rather than having to have a big sit down. I need to tell you something. Like that's just for me. That's perfectly awkward. So if you can, you kind of slyly, you know, put it into conversation keep it casual and just get it over and done with and then you know then everyone knows but um I think that if you do need support and it's not something that you just want them to be aware of if you actually feel as if you need support such as you know like if you wear hearing aids if you rely on lip reading um or actually if you find it quite difficult in new places if people might look at your your scars if that's something that you that you um, need support with and it, um, it is really important that you do speak to your employer about it. Cool. Okay, well that's pretty much all we've got time for on the panel discussion this month. So thank you all very much for, for joining us and providing your insights. It's been incredibly valuable. Um, we hope that people at home have found this discussion to be useful and helping them feel a bit more relaxed and in control of your own success in your workplace or on your career journey. Um, if this discussion has made you wish to seek further support, please do contact your CLEF team and request to see the clinical psychologist. You'll find the details of your local CLEF team on our website or in your leavers pack if you have received one of those when leaving the CLEF team. Alternatively, if you're already being seen by your CLEF team, feel free to talk to them about how to book an appointment with the clinical psychologist where they'll be able to offer more information. You can also go to your line manager who should be able to support you if you are experiencing any of the problems mentioned in this podcast in your workplace. CLEFA is the community for all those affected by cleft with any issues, so please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Remember that you can access more information and listen again to this and other panel discussions on our website at claffa.com forward slash adult services project. We would like to extend a very warm 
Thank you to our panellists, Marie Pinkstone, Iona Wallace and Catherine Shipley for joining us for today's discussion, as well as a big thank you to you at home for joining us. Make sure to join Nikki and myself again next month where it will be our season finale, our Christmas special with some festive fun involved, and we look forward to seeing you then. Once again, thanks very much to our panellists and to you at home. Until then, take care. Bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Clef Talk, brought to you by Clapper and proudly supported by the BTCT Foundation. We want to know what you thought of the programme so that we can make the next one even better. If you found this interesting, please make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or your favourite podcast player. Our next podcast is coming at the beginning of next month. Check out www.clapper.com forward slash cleftalk to find out what we'll be talking about next. We want your questions to take to the panel. Visit our panel discussion page on our website to submit your questions. You can also check out everything we're up to with the Adult Services Project, including a list of our upcoming programs and events at www.clapper.com forward slash Adult Services Project. You also can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We look forward to talking to you again soon.